Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. So the Bibles, Philippians chapter 2, finishing chapter 2 today. And um, at home, I was um, I was getting an old backup drive, ready to back up again. You know, so it's this clunky old thing, and you plug it in, and then you plug in the USB, and and it came up on my computer, and I was like, yeah, that's that's positive. Um, looked on, I was looking on there, and I found some old family pictures, and so I started to kind of go. For the next 30 minutes, I was going through those pictures, and I was crying, and I was laughing, and you know, I was remembering, and I was longing for the good old days, and then I was being inspired to keep going, you know, and um, it, it was it was just a blessing. Um, so I found I found a picture I wanted to show you from about 10 years ago. Here's Justin. Yeah, there they are. You know, so Lucy's the baby there. So that tells you that's about 10 years ago. We were over in Illinois. And I thought, man, things change so fast, uh, you know, in 10 years. And I got another picture to show you from 10 years ago. Um, so this is Living Streams 10 years ago when we were meeting down at the vineyard on Saturday nights. So uh, some of you remember, remember that. Um, so just, you know, you look at those and just think, wow, time really flies uh, and I thought, you know, we're taking more pictures today than ever before, and we're looking at them less because we can't remember where we stored them, right? Well, most, uh, before pictures, uh, we had portraits. Uh, painters would paint uh, what they saw, and they let us, let us look at it. And before portraits, we had writers that gave us word pictures to be able to to look and, and visualize what they were, what they were seeing, what they wanted to to convey, and and here at, in the, the end of chapter two of this letter, there's some portraits of Christ that Paul is painting for us with his words as he describes two guys that are just ordinary believers uh, following Jesus. And so, if you have ever thought, asked yourself, what does it look like to become like Jesus, to follow the Lord? What does it look like? We're going to see. A, um, some of that as we look at Paul's portraits of Christ here. So verses 19 uh, to, to 30. Let's read those. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who, who, will, genuinely be, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. 
and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are again grateful this morning to hear this this word that has been preserved for us. Uh, what a treasure it is in our life, uh, and we're we're thankful uh, to be able to live in a place uh, where we can read this without fear. Uh, where we're reminded that people around the world are starving to hear this word. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd stir up a hunger in our soul today with it, that that you'd inspire us, uh, that you'd teach us, that you'd shape us and mold us, um, that you'd just continue uh, the work that only you can do in us by feasting on these words of Paul. So we trust, Lord, that your spirit will fill in the gaps between what I have to say and what we need to hear. And I want to just pray, Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, so the first portrait of Christ is there in verses 19 to 24. And it's of Timothy. Um, And we could call it, if we're going to give it a title, we could call it the selfless servant. So Paul, he's still in prison. He's still in house arrest. He's still waiting uh, to have that trial before Caesar, find out if he's going to live or die. And, and so since he's on house arrest, he's got people around him. He's got friends. He's got partners in the work of the gospel. And Timothy is one of those partners. Now, Timothy and Paul, they, they first meet up in, on, on Paul's second missionary journey. And you can read about their meeting in Acts chapter 16. So that's where they, they come together. And he brings Timothy on board as his apprentice. And the two of them, along with Silas, they keep spreading the gospel to the Gentile world. So, so Paul and Timothy, their relationship in the Bible spans some 20 years, if we, uh, if we look at the whole thing. So when Paul first goes to Philippi, Timothy is with him. And so he sees, Timothy sees, the birth of a church firsthand. And so here we are in the last part of chapter 2, and we got this letter to that church that the two of them started. And so Paul is describing for his brothers and sisters in Philippi the care and concern that Timothy has for them. He's saying this, nobody is like him. Nobody's like Timothy. He's been with me 11 years now. His selfless, faithful service to the gospel is well known. He's proven. He is like a son to me in this work. Nobody cares for your good like he does. And nobody cares about what Jesus, nobody cares about what Jesus cares about like him. He cares about that. And so he says, after I find out what's going to happen to me, I'm hoping to send him to you so he can come back and tell me how you are and I can be cheered as well. 
So as you look at this relationship, it, it's a discipleship relationship. And that's, that's one of the things that discipleship is, if it's anything. It is a relational activity where one person shows another person how to follow Christ. And so that's the, that's the, uh, the relationship that Paul and Timothy have. And Timothy's life shows us the path that a disciple will take. First of all, he begins as Paul's understudy. You know, he's kind of his apprentice. So he, he isn't the one going around preaching. He's the one holding the notes, you know, for Paul. He's in the background. He's just faithfully serving Paul, watching out for his welfare, making sure he has what he needs to do what he needs to do. But Timothy doesn't stay there. He doesn't stay in that apprentice role. He gets sent to other places, other churches where they had, where Paul had, had started them. So Paul has, had sent him to Corinth and Macedonia and to Thessalonica and he wants to send him to, to the Philippians again. And all of those trips are trips, mission trips for discipleship. All to show people, to teach people and encourage believers. And he's going as a representative of Paul. No longer the understudy. Now he's being entrusted with faithful ministry. Now eventually, Timothy ends up in a leadership role in the church of Ephesus. And he goes there to teach and model the faith for them. So that's kind of the path of a, of a disciple. You start under someone, and then you move to the side to practice while under their watchful eye. And then you get launched to lead others. And so we ought to get a lot of encouragement from this portrait of Christ in Timothy. You know, I was thinking when we, when we think about being followers of Jesus and we look at Jesus' life and we go, man, the gap between how he's living and how I'm living, it's just, you know, it's big. And so, you know, then we look to others in the Bible that are following Christ. We look to Paul and we go, wow, you know, Paul, he went through all those trials. He, he just kept pressing forward. He kept serving Christ, kept the gospel going forward. He planted all those churches. I'm not sure I could ever, you know, do that. With my life, uh, but then, you know, we get a chance here. We look at look at Timothy, and Timothy ought to encourage our hearts to walk this path of a disciple. I mean, it, Timothy was a young guy, and and he was fearful, and he was insecure, and he was timid, and yet Paul calls him here the most selfless, Christ-centered, com- compassionate companion that he has. He's exhibiting this Christ-like behavior. And he is the perfect person to go back to Philippi and to show them what it looks like to live out the words that Paul's writing to him. Do nothing from selfish ambition. You know, consider others more important than yourselves. Timothy's the perfect one to send back to show them how to do that. And so we get this really good picture of Jesus' selfless servant attitude by looking at Timothy. It's, it's, it's how we grow in Christ. It's, one of the baseline things, you know, as, as, as we grow in Jesus, we're going to develop this kind of heart, the one that Timothy has. I read this story from an anonymous writer, and I'm kind of glad it's anonymous because it, it, sounded, it sounded too familiar to me. In, in Chicago, they have this Chicago-based newspaper called Streetwise, and it's given to people on the street who are homeless, and they sell the paper and they collect some of the proceeds. And so this person, they were um, they were walking by a streetwise vendor, and they had just visited a coffee shop. And he says it was a bitterly cold January morning, and I'd gotten my cup of hot coffee to warm my hands, and I walked by this woman who was selling a streetwise newspaper. 
And I was feeling kind of noble, so I struggled to pull out my wallet, and I found a dollar, and I gave it to her. And, and she said, do you really need the paper, or can I sell it to someone else? And he said, yeah, you, you keep the paper. How you doing today? And she said, well, I'm cold. And as I turned to walk away, I said, well, I hope the sun comes out and we all get to, get to warm up. And then as I started to get about a half a block down the street, I realized what had happened there. And I thought, you know, maybe I should go back and get her some coffee. But I was late and I didn't have time. And so I just kept going. And so ever since then, I have regretted not going back and giving her this hot cup of coffee in Jesus' name. Does that story sound too familiar to you, too? I mean, it's, it's like we have this encounter with someone who's in need, um, but we're short on time or we're short on money, and we just miss a chance to show the compassion of Christ. Um, you know, we, we think about it a half a block later, you know, and then we regret it a lot longer than that. Does that, does that sound too familiar? You know, selflessness, it shows up in the real numbers of our life. You know, in our money, in, in our time. And money's actually easier to give than our time, but both of them will kind of tell us, you know, give us a gauge about our selflessness uh, in our life. And so if you just look around you in your life, is there somebody that, that's there that God has put in your path that needs a touch from you, that needs an encouraging word, that, that needs a buck and a hot cup of coffee? That's the opportunity. It's small, but it's big to God. And it's an opportunity to grow in this selflessness and this servant attitude. It portrays Christ to them. You know, this is the place, the selflessness. This is the place where, where we kind of start as followers of Jesus. I mean, it's, it's sort of the base color of our portrait, if you would think about it like that. You know, he comes into our lives, he turns our, our hearts inside out, and we're now toward other people. We're more focused on, on them, and we start to care what he cares about. And that makes us more others-focused, more others-centered in our lives. Galatians 5.14 says, For the whole law is fulfilled as the whole for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And 1 Corinthians 10.24 says, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So this is like one of the very first things we should be teaching new believers in word and in deed. This developing a heart that is, is selfless. I want to show you another portrait of an ordinary believer. It's a portrait of Christ. Um, one, one that could be any one of us. Here's a video. Love that. Just, you know, a kid in a youth group, and he went to camp, you know, for kids with disabilities. And, you know, it's like a microwave moment to be selfless when you do that. Lori and I can echo this, this uh, his testimony. We sent Garrett and Gavin to one of those camps where they went, and, the, and they partnered up with a, a person who had disabilities. And it was their, uh, their job all week to be there for that other person to make sure they had a good week at camp, to bathe them, to help feed them. I mean, the whole nine yards. They were there to serve this other person. And they both said they were nervous going, you know, and I think we could all understand that. Nervous going, but it was the best experience that they'd ever had at a camp, you know, better than anything they'd ever gone to that was for them. And so that, you know, it's, it's what happens. It's a microwave moment to grow in selflessness. You know, we, when we see it, when we see selflessness, it's not hard to understand. It's just hard, it's hard to do. 
And so we want to let Timothy's portrait here kind of wake us back up to this in our life. You know, every day we want to find a way to be about what Jesus would be about. And, and every day find a way to put someone else ahead of ourselves. And I, I think if we do that every day, we just develop this habit of doing it. And then you know what happens? Somewhere down the road, somebody's going to paint a portrait of Christ using your life as an example. We develop that selfless heart. The second portrait is of this guy named Epaphroditus in verses 25 to 28. And we could call this one the suffering soldier. So Epaphroditus, he's a a member of the Philippian church. And he was sent on a mission by them to deliver to Paul a donation for his expenses while he was in prison there in Rome. And so this journey that Epaphroditus went on, it was an 800-mile journey from Rome, from Philippi to Rome. And it was, it was over land, it was over sea, it was a perilous journey. It would have taken many weeks. The probability of dying uh, was pretty high uh, to take this journey. And we hear that uh, Epaphroditus, he almost did die. Somewhere along the way, he got sick, and, and then he got to, to Rome and, you know, Paul says it's by God's mercy that, that he is still living, that, that he got healed. And so he's re- in recovery mode, Epaphroditus is, and he's worried. He's worried that the news of his illness has gotten back home to his home church, uh, but uh, the news of his recovery has not. And so he's longing to go back to relieve their concern. And it sounds like Paul's ready to send him. Paul's like, you know, Timothy's got to stick around with me until find out what's going to go on with me. But I'm going to send Epaphroditus back to you right now because that is going to be more important for him to get back and, and, and uh, ease your worry. And so when he's talking about Epaphroditus, you can hear that he's got this special bond with him. Uh, he says, um, you know, he calls him a brother. Uh, which is, you know, meaning one who has been adopted into the family of God by faith in Christ. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And he calls him a fellow laborer. So one who's working side by side in the gospel fields. And then he calls him a fellow soldier. One who's been drafted into service, had been given a duty, and he suffered for it. So it sounds like Paul's kind of wanting to lift up Epaphroditus in the eyes of his, of his home church back in, in Philippi. And we don't really know what role he had there. We don't know if he was a leader or, you know, just kind of an ordinary church member. Um, but we do know that when the call came up uh, to go to Rome to deliver this uh, donation and this message, when Epaphroditus heard that call, he said, here I am, send me. So they got... They get this special bond, and that's what we have. You know, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, um, we are part of the family of God. And we're we're uh, in the best sense of family. You know, when, when we started the church um, ten years ago, family was a really important thing to us. Getting the family together, since we're just separated so much. It's like, how are we helping parents if the kids are never with the parents, and you know, all this stuff is going on? Because, you know, the Bible talks about passing the faith down through parents to the kids. But we're never together, so how's it working? So family was like really a high value for us, and still is. Um, but you know, family in the world is not a good word. You know, because there's a lot of messed up families. There's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. So when you hear about the family of God and God being our Father, we got to think about family in the best sense of the word. Because that's what, that's what we experience. 
So we're family. Um, then we work side by side. When we work side by side in the gospel fields, it increases the strength of our family bond. You know, so if you were, you were here for VBS and came every night and got your uniform on and we're, you know, corralling kids and we're doing all that, we had this bond that, you know, we just, it, you could feel it. You know, we're working together side by side. And, and, uh, you know, you, uh, can get that same sense, if I could say this, you could get that same sense if you come tomorrow night and help Karen sort clothes. You can work side by side, you know, for the Jubilee sale. You can sign up to be at the Jubilee sale and be there and help people find clothes and talk to them, love on them, offer to pray with them. Um, and they say, why are you doing this? Because Jesus loves us and he gave to us freely and he says, give away freely. And that's why we're doing this. Um, that's why we're doing the sale, not to make money. We're not going to have any money come in. And we won't take it, but we're getting rid of clothes and we're loving on people. But if you do that, you're, you're going to get this sense, this connection, this bond that you have uh, with each other. It, it'll, just, it'll just go up. But Epaphro, is my name for him short, Epaphro, uh, his portrait shows us that there's even another level beyond that. And that is when we suffer for the gospel. When we suffer for the gospel, our strength... Uh, of this family bond, it goes up even higher. Now, Paul knew what it was to suffer. I mean, he was in prison. He was waiting in his trial. Um, he knew that. And when, when he saw what Epaphroditus went through to deliver that donation to him, it, it got to him. It, it caused this bond, you know, to increase between he and Epaphroditus. Um, you know, this guy isn't just sitting in church. He's serving in church. And this guy isn't just serving in church. He's suffering for the church. How did he suffer? Well, he suffered um, the suffer of ex, uh, separation. Separation from his family and his church family. And that's no small thing to Paul. And it's no small thing to God either as we, as we follow Jesus. You know, when, when the mission takes us away from the people we're related to and from the people that we're bonded to in Christ, when it takes us away where we, where we go, where God leads us to do what God wants us to do, that's a big deal to God. And, and it should be in the church as well. Cause you know, if you think about it, not many of us are willing to suffer the separation from family and our church for the gospel. We're just not willing. I mean, it's like the first thing that holds us at home. Epaphroditus suffered physically. We heard he was sick, almost almost died. And, yet, and I thought, you know, when we think about physical suffering, you know, that might be the default thinking when it comes to suffering for the gospel, maybe because um, there's like pain associated with it. Um, so uh, maybe that's why, I don't know, but you know, when our muscles get sore, when we sprain an ankle, when, when we get a cold, when we break a bone, um, when, when we, uh, when our fingers are sore from playing the guitar, cause you haven't, haven't in a while, cause our, when our back is sore from pouring concrete all weekend for somebody else, um, you know, when it's done in Jesus name, he sees that he does not miss it. Ever, ever heard the phrase, no good deed goes unpunished? You know, it's usually said by someone who's doing something for somebody else and then, you know, they scrape a knee or something. Eh, thanks a lot. And we think of it as a punishment. You know what God, God's doing when, when that happens? He's putting a reward in your bank account in heaven. 
He's, there's reward for that in heavenly places when we suffer um, for the gospel. When we live out Romans 12.1, where it says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It may feel like a punishment, but there's great re- reward for that. And then there's, there's even more suffering that Epaphro um, was going through. He suffered emotionally. He's longing. He's longing to go back and be at home with his people to comfort them. You know, emotional suffering is, is real suffering too. And it's just, it's just as much a concern to God as any bruise or scrape that, that our bodies might take. Um, Paul is demonstrating that here. He's distressed because Epaphro's distressed because the Philippians were distressed. Everybody's distressed. That's God's heart toward emotional suffering. You know, when our heart takes the hit instead of our body, it's just as valuable to God. And I think in the past I might have underestimated emotional suffering and the impact that it has on our life. You know, um, uh, but you know what? God is not underestimating uh, that at all. He sees every bit of that suffering for the gospel and never forgets it. In fact, Psalm 56, 8, it's a wonderful verse. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. So all of this happened because a soldier in the Lord's army was committed to do his duty and he suffered for it. Just an ordinary church member like you or me showing us a picture of Christ. Ever heard of Amy Carmichael? She was a missionary in India for 55 years until she died in 1951. I want to show you just a little bit about her life. So another video to watch. So from that one little girl, Prina, she started that ministry and rescued thousands of kids from prostitution and abuse and starvation. Now what the what the video didn't share was that Amy suffered from a disease. Uh, called neuralgia, which uh, she had from her youth, which caused her to be uh, weak in her body and her muscles have pain all over and it would put her in bed for weeks at a time. Kind of reminded me of fibromyalgia. I didn't know, wondered if that would be the kind of the same thing. But, um, you know, she had that disease and her first attempt to go on the mission field, she was denied because of it. But she, you know, she kept at it. And there she is there in, in, uh, in this, Indian village and she creates this fellowship called Donover and there's some great videos to watch about this if you can, if you have time to do it but in 1931 she suffered this life-changing injury she fell and basically it, it made her bedridden for the rest of her life so the next 20 years of her life she was stuck in bed she stayed in India at the Donover fellowship just continued to love people in Christ's name wrote tons of books while she was while she was there and I was thinking you know how easy would it have been for her to just to go back home you know to the comforts of, of home but she stuck it out enduring suffering Suffering, uh, doing her duty as a soldier in the Lord's army. What a picture. Well, where do missionaries come from? You know, I, is there a school for missionaries, Randy, that I don't... You know where they come from? They come from in here. This is where they come from. You know, God sends out His people. He drafts them into service from from among the people in His church. Now, you don't necessarily have to go to another country, another nation. You might just be sent around the corner. But missionaries are sent to be messengers and ministers um, in Jesus' name, and they come from here. They come from from here from this this place. What keeps us at home? 
And what keeps us? It's our grip. Our grip that we have on our life. On our possessions, on our planes, on people. Our grip keeps us right here. Keeps us from being available to saying yes to God. It keeps us from, uh, you know, suffering for for the gospel. Um, so I thought, you know, today, if you thought about your life, about holding on to your life, would you be willing to loosen your grip and just just lay it before the Lord, lay it all there, all the people, all the plans, all the possessions, and say, Lord, it's available. Anything, anytime, any place. Does that freak you out? You should feel that. You're never too old to be available to God. You're never too ordinary. You're never too small. Never too plain. God has something for you to do. There's somewhere for you to go. There's something for you to give. Someone for you to touch. Do you know how to know what that is? Loosen your grip. Because God will never not take advantage of a willing, available life. Never. And it will be the greatest decision you ever made. Maybe suffering ahead, but you will look back and go, it was no suffering at all. So Epaphroditus, he, uh, he shows us a bit more than a suffering soldier. He also shows us uh, something of a sacrifice savior. So those last two verses, Paul writes, So receive him in the Lord, that's Epaphroditus, So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So Epaphroditus did for the Philippians what they could not do for Paul, because they were 800 miles away. Epaphroditus said, Here I am, send me. He took that journey, delivered the message, took the support, stayed there to help Paul. Almost died in the process. Does that remind you of anybody? You know, if you think about it, Jesus took a journey too, didn't he? It was just a lot longer than 800 miles when he went from heaven to earth. And he came to be a messenger and a, and a minister to needs, but he came for more than that. And he didn't almost die. He did die. And he did that to do what we could not do for ourselves. What was lacking in us, he completed so that we could know God and have life with him. So Paul gives instructions there to the Philippians when Epaphroditus comes back. When he gets home, receive him with joy and honor him. And that's a picture of how we should live our lives following Christ. When he comes into our life, when we welcome him in, it it is joy. There's joy there. And then every day we've got an opportunity to go about living our lives for him, uh, to honor him. So how do we go about honoring Christ every day? I mean, he's paid a high price for our life. We belong to God. We honor Jesus with our body. How do we go about honoring him today? Well, I would just suggest to take a look at Timothy. Take a look at 
Epaphroditus and develop that selfless heart. You know, find a way to do that today. Wake, wake yourself back up to that. It's like, you know, baseline Jesus in your life. And then be willing to go. Go where he sends. Go to, to lead worship somewhere. <laughs> be willing and available. And he will get you through. You know, he, Jesus is the one who said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And then he showed us that, didn't he? As he sacrificed himself to be our, our savior. Um, Randy, come on back up. We're going we're gonna to sing one more. So if you think about, you know, that sitting down, you know, in front of someone and sort of holding your life out there for them to paint a portrait of your life, what, what or who would it resemble? If you want it to look more like Jesus, take a look at Timothy, take a look at Epaphroditus and go and do likewise. Hey, let's uh, pray together. Father, we, uh, we want to thank you for the day we've had already just being together, um, soaking our hearts in good worship in the Word today. And we're uh, mindful of these pictures we've seen of your son in Timothy and in Epaphroditus and the selflessness that they show us, the suffering, the sacrifice. And Lord, we offer our hearts today. We just kind of take... Uh, take that grip that we have on ourselves and we open our hands up to you and say, I'm here. Have your way, anything, anytime, any place. Continue to do what you're doing in us today, Lord. And thank you that your spirit is within, who fills us and strengthens, convicts and points and bears fruit to do what you call us to do. You've given us all we need. You walk with us. You're faithful love. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.